Emily, what's up? Welcome to season two, Deconstruction Zone podcast. We're back. We're excited. What have you done since I saw you last? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> did a lot of stand-up comedy. All right. Um, vibed. Vibed. You preached a little bit. I did preach a little bit. Preached a little bit. Yeah, I, I guess I haven't done that much. Makes me feel pretty unproductive. <laughs> what sorry. have you done? Uh, I likewise haven't done very much either. So I didn't preach because you preached. Had some family <laughs> time. Took stuff off. So... Um, but I'm excited because we're going to have, we're going to continue this conversation, but mm-hmm. we're going to do this a little differently. How we're going to go through the episodes and how we've, uh, course them is you're just going to take us on a journey. You're like our, our tour guide. I don't you know, know where I... we're going and you're just going <laughs> to lead us through this. And I'm excited about this because honestly, I feel like this podcast was like birthed by just like you and I just having conversations sure. and being like. Maybe other people want to hear these. But um, I think sometimes in, like, the first season, we were trying to, like, recreate conversations we had already had. Yeah. Which is why we want to enter in, like, pretty blunt. Well, you're entering in blunt. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that'll be really cool. All right. Well, take us where we're going. Okay. So I want to talk about – okay. So I think this is an interesting thing in deconstruction resources or conversations is oftentimes we say, like – Okay, you guys are really good at just being like, well, I don't like this and I don't like this and I don't like this. Sure. But we have to, where, how can we end up with truth and the end of it? So I want to talk about religious trauma and then ultimately get to like, what actually is the good news? So I'm going to read this um, Twitter, uh, what's it called when there's multiple? Thread. Thread. <laughs> I know I'm the hip cool yeah. one in here. Yeah, you're the only one of us that uses Twitter, but I know what they're called. So. Um, I just want to read a little bit of it, and then I want to process through it. Sure. Does that sound okay? Yeah, it's good. Okay. So he says, "Who's he?" I don't. I don't know. If it's okay, this is the famous. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to like call this person out. It was an interesting thought that great. I disagree with. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. Anonymous person. <laughs> um. Who I met at a cathedral randomly. Okay, anyway. Um, So he says, I have a few thoughts on the uprising of sharing their religious trauma. Trauma is real. There are people who have experienced real trauma from inside the church, real trauma from real Christians. That is tragic and is evidence of the damage sinful and broken people can inflict on each other. The traumatized is also sinful and broken. Let us not begin thinking that your victim status negates your sinful state and your need for the gospel. Um, And then he says, saying you have trauma because you were taught you are a sinner in need of the gospel is a way of putting off the call of Jesus to repent and believe. If you feel that it is traumatizing to deny yourself and die and die to self, well, it is for we who are in Christ have been crucified with Christ. A crucifixion is traumatizing. The growing popularity of sharing one's religious trauma is concurrent with the popularity of deconstructing one's faith. Beware. Beware. (laughs) Um, If you don't like the call of the gospel in your life, it's not fair to call that trauma when others have experienced real devastating trauma. Be honest and admit that you don't like what Jesus calls you to. So I think... There's a lot in there. Yeah. um, I know it was long. But the reason I think that stood out to me is because honestly, like, when I think about if I use the term religious trauma, I think about that. Sometimes I do think about things that at least I used to think were part of the gospel. Like mm-hmm. that I was all bad or that um, like just things like that. Like 
I don't know. What are your general reactions to that? Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah. I had a couple thoughts going through it. Like one, and I think we've actually maybe talked about this conversation like in passing, but the, like I got what the person was trying to say with like the cross is traumatizing in uh-huh. some ways, but the hope of the gospel isn't traumatizing. And so like the mm. act of dying on a, for sure, that's a traumatizing <laughs> act. Uh, for Jesus, but the hope of the gospel shouldn't be traumatizing. Uh, but I don't know. I went through that first part and it was pretty interesting in terms of like, it was some like victim shaming, right? Like saying like, don't be a, like if you're saying you have religious trauma, really what you're trying to do is like, put yourself up on a pedestal above everyone else. Like I've somehow my trauma has transcended me to a place of no more accountability or or no and reject the gospel. Yeah. And I think that's, not true and what's interesting is like i'd say at least in the tone of what the tweet was saying i could almost like not disagree more with where the person's Mm. going uh in the sense that like religious trauma is real we need to acknowledge that for the people that have been traumatized for the traumatizers we have to acknowledge that but again like the only thing i maybe agree with is that we all are sinners moving through this together but like what this is doing is trying to like i think create an us versus them that mm-hmm. isn't actually real. And so, I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day. I made like a, a TikTok about someone said if Jesus would have just had an AR-15, he wouldn't have had to get crucified. And this was like a, it was like one of the most hot takes I've ever heard. Uh-huh. And like a very pro-gun, pro-Jesus having a gun thing. And I was like, you're creating like a weird, false, hy- like hypothetical that would never happen. Yeah. But you're using it to push your agenda. And that's kind of what I feel like is happening here. It's like it's creating a false dichotomy or a false us versus them that doesn't need Mm. to be there just for the sake of like tribalism. So, okay, I just want to pause right there before we keep going, because I think you brought up an interesting point um, when he said like, yeah, I don't think we should. This is not a victim shaming podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What if I read that tweet and then I was like, yep, this guy nailed it. it. (laughs) And then I was like, end of episode. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to read this tweet. Um, But I think it's an interesting aspect of deconstruction that I know has really like affected me because in a sense, in our deconstruction journey, in religious trauma, we all are both victims and villains, I would say, in the story. And that's that's scary and frustrating to process because here's the thing i was taught things that i think are not helpful and harmful but then i was like well i gotta tell everyone that and so i am i am part of someone's story in a sense that like i have shared very non-inclusive like gospel thoughts with them yeah that's interesting being a part of like your story, other people's story. Mm. We're all more interconnected than I think we realize at times and both victim and, and traumatizer. Right. But I was thinking about this on my way out here and it's interesting, like, cause I really didn't know what we we're going to talk about, but I was thinking I drove by like, you know, a train trestle, like train tracks um, that are like, it was hundreds of feet in the air. And I was thinking about my youth pastor uh, when I was in high school, he took me out to like a train trestle and like we walked across one. And I remember like, I was just terrified of it. And we got to the other side and he's like, well, we got to get back and walk across. Oh my gosh. And I think this is some like, uh, Mr. Miyagi thing he was trying to (laughs) do with me. But this person is like later in life had like a pretty intense moral failure that like made Mm. me question like all of the things that I knew to be true. But in terms of what you're saying, like it made me think back to that moment, the train tracks, all that stuff. Like, how does that story, how is that story now informed? Because like the future has been different. 
Like mm. our relationship still exists. Our conversation still exists. It's actually really meaningful things he said to me, some dumb things he said. But like thinking back, like the past isn't as static as we make it out to be. And I think realizing with trauma and being a traumatizer, like there has to be some informing towards the future, but also looking back to have that inform that kind of thing. And I think that makes it much more much more possible to walk through those things because it's not like binary black and white. Like it happened. You're either this or that you're on this team or that team. Mm. And like now it's over. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it makes me like, I think more prone to forgiveness in when I think about my own story, because I mean, you know, the gospel or whatever, like you gotta forgive. (laughs) That was so, I'm sorry. I said it like that, (laughs) but also like thinking about the people who like share teachings with me that, harmed me or gave me like a really poor view of myself. Those people were taught that somewhere too. That was not born out of a vacuum. And they're like, we're going to mess with Emily today. You know? And I think that that's important. Um, And also dealing with the fact that like, we can come on here and be like, yeah, we've been really hurt, but like, we've also hurt people. Yeah. And how do you like step into that now? Like you're, you're a pastor and a lot of people see that as like, it's kind of vulnerable if you've left church and come back in and say like, okay, well you have this pastor role over me and people have not stewarded that well. How do you yeah. navigate that? Yeah. I mean, it's probably not well, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think I do think about that kind of thing. Like it's a responsibility and like a burden in some way to mm-hmm. think about the fact that like, like I am no one's ticket to salvation, but people like put a lot of trust in me as a person and um, a lot of like, uh, trust in the things that I say and the way that I lead and all that kind of stuff. But then I, like you said, like I have religious trauma with like pastors that were previous in my life. And I think back of that and leaders that did things that were, um, not above board, so to speak. And so I think it's a hard situation to be in. Like, and we have friends, we have mutual friends that I know, like are frustrated with the church, some at higher levels and others, some that are still engaging in church. Some are like, I'm never going to church again, mm. that kind of thing. And I think as a, pastor like in seminary they told you weren't, you weren't allowed to be friends with your congregants like you were the pastor did like, they really you, say that well like not explicitly but yes they did so like you shouldn't be friends with your congregation and that's still like a pretty prevailing theory but i think for me to be a pastor mm. like i have to have like relationship with the people that i'm pastoring and be not best friends but be friends with these people and so i think in leading into that space like that's an important thing first it's like people over all the other stuff, right? Like in business, they like people over profit. Like in, so I don't know what the version of that is in the church, but it's people above like my bias as leader, like being a leader Mm. and helping people process through their hurt and their trauma and all that kind of stuff. So, but that's like my perspective as a pastor, like for you, I know like this is an interesting thing, even for us to be doing this, right? Like you've had your own level of trauma, frustration, navigating, even what you're allowed to do within the church. Like Stepping into, and we talked a little about this in the first season, but like stepping into a relationship like this is interesting. And mm-hmm. so I'd be interested to hear you process that. But even like being involved in a church, like what has that journey been like for you, knowing there's been baggage that got you led up to this point? Absolutely. And so I think one thing that I was thinking about as you were talking is sometimes when you and I are talking, I'll be like, I don't want to say it this way because it's very like Christianese way to say it. And you look at me and you go, Emily, we do still love Jesus. Like you can say that (laughs) that, Uh, because I think sometimes I maybe overcorrect or I'm just like, I don't want to sound anything 
like how I grew up. Yeah. Well, we've talked about the pendulum before, right? Like, yeah. In some ways, you're overcorrecting back from where you came from. And like, I think you've swayed back one way. You found yourself in the middle. But yeah, I think that's an interesting, like, <laughs> overcorrect, not a bad overcorrection, but I do watch it. It's like, yeah, I think you can say that. <laughs> like, it is okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think. So for me, I took like one semester off of church, I guess, um, mm-hmm. because I was just getting really mad every Sunday. And I was like, I don't think this does anything for my relationship with God. Like, I think it might not be wise to be going to church. It was just pissing me off. Yeah. Um, and I talked to a lot of people about it because I think the church is really important. Um, and taking that breather and I talked to a lot of people about it. And a lot of people have gone through like a breather period. Like, yeah. like it's like we were on a break. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I think sometimes you need that. But there's also I do think that we naturally long to talk about big questions in community. Yeah. And what a cool thing about church. There's a one of my favorite poems is called Church Going. And it's by this like super atheist dude. And he goes into a church on a Monday and is just walking around. And one of the lines, he said, a serious house where serious questions are met. Hmm. And I was like, hell yeah, we all, maybe not we all, I really want that. Yeah. I want to, I don't want to pretend like we're not thinking about big things. Yeah. Um, and at its best, that's like what church should be, right? Like, yeah. I think we oftentimes, when we say church, um, we go to, we sing some songs, we're in a building. Like we have images of the space. We have images of what you do in there. But and pastors say this all the time, though I don't know if we always mean it, but it's like the church isn't the building. Like we're the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if the church is in the building where the church, it should be a place where like big questions are wrestled with and are asked and people are navigating those things. And and I wonder if that's what sometimes, I mean, we can get back to what you're saying in a second, but like, do you think that is partially even what burns you out from church? Like that you were going into a space, did it ever feel like disingenuous? Like you weren't actually asking big questions? Oh my gosh, what a great thought. <laughs> You're like, thank you. Um, but I heard this line and it really felt so true to my story. Mm-hmm. And this guy just said, I was tired of having God figured out. Sure. And in my church upbringing, we had God completely figured out. We said like, yeah, God's mysterious or whatever. But we knew. Yeah, but God wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but we totally get it. Um and that, man, that doesn't feel like a place where you can really wrestle and ask big questions. That feels like a place where the questions have been answered. And if if you are still wrestling, then you haven't fully understood the answer that they're giving you. Yeah. And that is not a place where, where big questions are actually met, in my opinion. I think it's easier. Yeah. It's a, I was, I'm re-listening to, did you ever listen to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast? No, I really want to, but I just haven't. Okay. There's like no big, deep philosophical reason for why I haven't. <laughs> I well, that's good. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm giving it a re-listen just because I want to be sad, I guess. No. But, um, <laughs> Great. Um, but they're talking about how a lot of people were like drawn to this like neo-Calvinist, young, restless reform movement because it, it gave that's very... literally the lamest moniker for a person young restless reformed no like neo oh. <laughs> i think in some circle if you said that I'd be like that's like the coolest thing ever <laughs> like if you said that anywhere else people are like i think that person was just speaking gibberish right there um, but people were drawn to it because there was so much structure in there yeah right? and it's way easier we've talked about this before it's way easier to live in that than actually like sit in yeah. the gray but to go back to like what we were talking about about me entering into church in this space i think one thing for me is like 
I am still navigating what it is to have a voice in the church. Yeah. Which is like really huge. I remember like you pointed out the other day um, or a while ago we were talking and you're like, Emily, sometimes you'll like say something and like look over at me like, was that okay to say? And you're like, your voice, like you can just say it and that's okay. And I like trust your voice in this space. And I was like, really? Like it was (laughs) (laughs) like, I think that's a huge thing to navigate, to have a voice in the church. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an like that's a perspective I probably will never resonate with because I've never not really had a voice in the church. Like mm-hmm. as long as I've been a part of the church, like I've sat in a seat that like was pretty like I'm yeah. a straight white guy, so I was like I got a lot of the keys to the building, you know. <laughs> they were like, We would love to know what this guy yeah, has to right. say. Uh haven't heard enough from these kind of people. So um <laughs> so uh, something interesting. So you we have touched on this before, but I want to circle back to the tweet you read. Yeah. Um so you talked we talked about it being easier to be in the black mm, and white, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's easier to say, like, the scripture says this, that settles, settles it, we're done with it, right? And back to the tweet, I kind of think, like, that's what the guy was trying to do, or the girl was trying to do in the tweet, was it's trying to say, uh, I figured. Uh, <laughs> straight white guy. <laughs> straight white um, He, I think, was trying to, like, say that it's, like, it's easier if we understand that, like, Jesus died, it hurt us, it was hard for us, like, reject this thing like push through it and i think he's creating like a in or out type thing right Mm. it's easier to say like trauma is pretty messy it's harder to like go through that jesus did this that settles it it's over it and i think like it the reason that tweet exists and that philosophy exists is because it's so much harder to like sit and wade through the gray and it's easier just to be like well these people are out because they're asking too many questions. These people are out because they're asking too big of questions. These people are out because they're blaming everyone else. Like, just like trust Jesus. Like that's Mm. all you have to do. Which I think it's like, we do need to trust Jesus. Like that's an important thing, but it's also saying like trust Jesus and like check your mind at the door is not what the gospel is about. And like, that's Mm. what is frustrating about things like that. It's like your emotions, your mind, your thoughts, those don't matter. And the reason that you have all this tension is because you just haven't trusted hard enough. And that you, like, just don't like the gospel. Like, yeah. I've gotten that, um, like, f- uh, feedback or like pushback. Jesus. Or just, like, well, like, it sucks, Emily, but that's the gospel. Yeah. So get over it. I don't really care what your reaction to it is. And so I think the question is, like, I I loved what you said when you were like, okay, yeah, sure, crucifixion is traumatizing. But isn't that the point that we didn't have to get crucified? <laughs> Sure. Uh, maybe just a thought. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Jesus did what we couldn't do. So we didn't have to do it. Right. Like, yeah. Like he protected us from a really ultimate trauma in a sense. Yeah. But yeah. Also, and there's a difference in like picking up your cross and carrying your cross. And then like also being crucified on the cross. Right. Like, Oh, yeah. so. like you're just vibing with your cross. But yeah, you don't you're have to be cross. nailed to it. You don't have to be nailed to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Carry your cross. Carry the burden. But someone's like, yeah, go ahead. What does that mean to you? Carry my cross. I was just in New York, and this guy was just, like, really just carrying a giant cross around. And I was like, cool, man. Like, public theater? Like, what was he doing? I mean, he was just, like, in a t-shirt. I think he was just like, I got to do this. That's really interesting. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, growing up, I kind of thought that, and I maybe still think this. I'm going to verbally process this. This is, like the benefit of going into this blind, but the hard thing is you're not getting very many refined thoughts out of me. So I have to like verbally process with you. So 
like picking up your and carrying your cross, right? That is the burden. And we've talked about this before, like the cost of discipleship, yeah. the cost of even deconstruction, the cost of all, there is a cost, there's a burden. Like it's not the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I think we even talked about like going through deconstruction has actually led you to a deeper faith and it's a faithful thing for you to do, but not an easy thing for you to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, and maybe the sentiment of what this guy also is trying to say in his tweet, like that following Jesus isn't easy. Like, and so I think there's a burden to it, but I still think not easy doesn't mean it has to suck. And so I think like for me, like carrying my cross and picking that up and following Jesus in that, it's like, it's a burden and it's hard and it's heavy and it's frustrating and it like can bring me to tears and be lonely to Mm -hmm. stand in that void and like preach the gospel and share good news with people. Because unfortunately, for whatever reason, not everyone wants good news to be shared with everyone. And so like, I feel Mm -hmm. that burden carrying that all the time. Like, and we've talked about that, right? Like I have to stay out of the TikTok comments because it's like a terrible place to like read the things people are saying. Yeah. But it's like the number of people that reach out and be like, Oh, like I just had someone comment this yesterday. Like I would have, like I haven't followed Jesus. I'm an atheist now, like for 10 years or whatever. And like, had I known that this kind of Christianity existed, like I would have followed Jesus. And I think like, that's the kind of stuff that, lessens the burden because you're carrying it with other people can we get theological for one second i have this thought kind of thought we already were so (laughs) can we actually get theology now sorry but um (laughs) so jesus on his way to crucifixion didn't carry his cross all the way yeah that's kind of interesting it is interesting if we think about like it's a call to carry to carry our cross and it jesus was some like too weak to do it yeah yeah, it's interesting. Like, uh, have you heard that preached ever? Like, have you ever heard that passage preached or people talking about that? No. Have you? I don't know that I have. I think I've, I mean, I've talked, like, I think we've talked about that before in circles I've been in. That Like, there's this collaborative thing and, like, we're supposed to do it together. And, mm. like, talking about being the person coming out of the crowd to help and, like, where are you in that space? But also, yeah. um, how do you allow other people to do that? But, yeah, it's interesting. I'm waiting for you to get to the theological part, though. <laughs> well, it was just a thought I had. But no, I, it actually I, it just hit me. So on Sunday, I actually, I um, preached at church about like what it is to accept neighboring and what it is to like accept people's care for you. Yeah. And that is something we're way off where we started, but I'm having a good time. Is that OK? Sure. OK. <laughs> um, is Jesus one thing that's so fascinating to me about Jesus's ministry is he was constantly dignifying people by letting them meet his um, meet his needs. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, what's up, bro? Here's some food. He said, I'm going to your house for dinner. Yeah. Like, make me dinner. And I think there's something there of saying, like, I'm dignifying you and your humanity and your ability to care for me by actually letting you care for me. Yeah. I think we don't think about that often, right? Is that Jesus is... Also, he's, like, never in his own space. Like, he's always in other people. Like, he just, like, gets all in other people's business. (laughs) Like... Uh, which is, and even when I'm preaching about this weekend, um, kind of like the calling of the different disciples, like one of the most mm-hmm. interesting things that I think that starts out that, uh, trickle effects out of the gospel of John in the first chapter. Um, but he calls Andrew first and him and another guy. And one of the first things he asks them is like, what do you guys want? And I think that's really interesting. Like I read mm-hmm. it the first time and I was like, it seemed really sassy. <laughs> like he's like, what do you want? But I think he's like actually asking like, Hey, I want you to collaborate. Like I'm going to come into your space. And I'm going to give you dignity and let you operate in this. And part of that is asking, like, what do you actually want out of this? And how are you Mm. going to live into this? Because it's not just, like, blindly follow me. 
but there's like some actionable and cognitive level of like being able to name and think and live into what we want out of this whole faith thing. And so I think that's an interesting thing as well. Like there's, there's way more collaboration in faith than we think. And even if we're called to be followers and not leaders or to follow Jesus, we'll be part of that. Like it's a collaborative act of following, not just like a, like there are these zombie ants. Uh, have you heard of these things? Like they, uh, they infect like, or maybe it's a, like a fungus. It infects these ants and it makes them like walk and move around. And like, they have no more control of their body. They're fully alive, but they hey. have this like parasite and they like just eat all this stuff. And they're like, their lives are fully controlled. Um, that's not what following Jesus is. We're not just like, mm. we're not possessed and just being like zombies that are walking around. Like we're collaborating in the process. I freaking love that. Yeah. Okay. It's a really interesting story in NPR. But like if you Google zombie ants NPR, you'll find the story. <laughs> we should have a segment on here that's like Danny's like animal corner where you just have a different animal fact every yeah. time. I think I've exhausted my animal facts, but <laughs> Well, you gotta get get researching, I guess. Um back to the tweet though, okay. I'm trying to pull it around. Um I so he's saying there's a point in which, yeah, maybe you've had church trauma, but the gospel is traumatic. And if you can't handle it, that is not anyone's fault but your own. Yeah. So if I'm being super honest, this guy is in the denomination I was raised in. There's part of me that really does think that the gospel that he believes can be traumatic. Maybe that's an extreme statement, but like. But tra- uh, say more like traumatic in a good way or like just traumatic as in like. Just like. Uh, Honestly, this is maybe a really hot take. I think that it is, it can be considered like psychological abuse to tell little kids that they're all bad. Yeah. I think that's traumatic. Yeah. There's a saying in youth ministry. It's not really a saying, but it's like a philosophy. Like you always like, you always want a space that's like a little too small for the number of kids you have in the room. So mm-hmm. that it like feels like there's something happening there. Like you don't play an extra round of the game because you want to leave them wanting more. And I think we want to leave people wanting more here because we're going to talk in our next episode okay, yeah. about sin. Right. Uh-huh. And I think that's interesting because you're talking about like if the gospel is traumatizing to the point where it's telling little kids that they're just jacked up from day one, like sin is at the root of that. And our, our understanding of sin is at the root of that and how we engage with that, right. how God created us. And I wonder if we put a pin in it and we pick it up there next week. Can we finish with one more thought, though, yeah. to come around? Yeah, you're going to take it home. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to alley you tee you up. Great. Um, so, OK, yeah, we'll talk about sin next episode. But my question <laughs> was that I, thought I hit the court. Oh. <laughs> but my question to you is like. You said the hope of the hope of the gospel isn't traumatic. Yeah. What is the hope of the gospel, Danny? It's hmm. a good question. How's a good alley oop? Or T, as you said, T it up. Yeah, I mean, I think the hope of the gospel is that we don't have to exist as we are currently existing. Like the mm-hmm. hope of the gospel is that Jesus did something that we didn't have to do and couldn't do for ourselves. Which, because I like, and we'll talk more about this, but like, I believe in sin. I believe in brokenness. I believe in division and it is ripping us apart from God and one another. The hope of the gospel is like, we don't have to live in that kind of divided world. And that Jesus Mm -hmm. is the one that's putting that mosaic back together, bringing these broken pieces and making an image that was more beautiful than what it started as. Because Mm -hmm. I think our world suffers with brokenness and division and sin. And the hope of the gospel is like that reality that we are told 
is the prevailing reality doesn't have to be that. I love that. Yeah. All right. I feel like that was a good talk. I think it was all right. It was all right. We're shaking the dust it's, off. It was for kind of all over the place, but yeah. I think that's okay. I feel like we were doing like a, uh, like <laughs> this was like a workshopping meet. This is like what people assumed we would do before we did an episode. <laughs> it was what our first episode then, was. But we were like, hey guys, this season's going to be yeah. different. We are going to have no workshopping. Yeah. Yeah. This is what you get. This is first episode is a behind the scenes episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bonus episode, but yeah. the first one. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, Sign us up. All right. Uh, thanks for listening and embrace the journey. <laughs>